How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. Welcome to our podcast today. And as you're joining us, you're probably aware that we're doing this 10-question series. And it's been a lot of fun. We are enjoying our guest, And I think they're even surprising themselves sometimes <laughs> with some of the answers. <laughs> but today, I've got the best guest, hands down, without question, period. No ifs, ands, or buts that I could have. And that's my wonderful wife, Cindy. 40 years we've been married. My word, how did that happen? One day at a time. One day at a time. But boy, yep. it doesn't, looking back, it doesn't feel like 40. It's It That's goes good. so much faster than you think. I'm glad you feel that way. <laughs> I do. I do. 40 years. We're having fun. It's a good chapter of life and empty nest and grandparenting. And yeah, God's been super kind to both of us. Yes, he has been over and over and over. And speaking of your other guests that you've had on 10 questions, oh my goodness, I can't believe you even have invited me on because you have got some deep thinkers who are profound and I'm going to try to give some good answers. Well, honey, I try to be profound every time I'm on the broadcast. So. <laughs> and you are. You right, are. right. For those of you who haven't listened to Robert Schwartzwalder's interview, that's one of the people she's referring to. And I won't take too much time, but I have a long string of emails between, I have a group of guys, we're reading Augustine's Confessions together. And one of them says, I was pleasantly surprised to listen to your conversation yesterday during my morning walk. Rob, thanks for the life of integrity that you live. MJE, thanks for interviewing Rob. I learned so many lessons from you guys. Anyway, it was a tete-a-tete between us. So Rob then responds, thank you, brother. That means a lot. You're such an example of godly faithfulness, unlike easily. And then an emoji with a funny face. And I wrote back, true, true. And then I sent a gif of the Wayne's World guys going, not worthy, not worthy. And I said, even my wife, ahem, commented that she loved Rob's interview. Now that's rare. She said, and I quote, Rob's one smart guy. He makes me want to be smarter. I told her, yeah, me too. We should get to work on that. And we both laughed. Anyway, well, that was I, this morning. Last time we spoke together, one of the conference attendees made the observation that you're profound and I'm practical. So I would like to switch that and be the profound one. But Okay, you can be profound won't now. Won't happen. <laughs> okay, you can be profound. So as our friends know, and just as a reminder, if you're new to our broadcast, these 10 questions are grounded in this idea that Michael Easley in context is the exposition of Scripture and trying to understand the context of Scripture and then how we apply it in our particular context. So the first question, Cindy, is when you look at your life as a mom, as a realtor, as in some respects a mentor to younger women— how do you live out this Christian life in the context where God has you? How do I live it out? Every day, my goal is to be more like Christ, 
to live a life that is full of grace, to demonstrate the love of Christ, which is not the love of the world. Sometimes I have clients that can be a little bit difficult or challenging. I love them, but it's a constant reminder to lead them in the process of purchasing or selling their home with grace and to show Christ. Many of the people that I work with are not believers and to always make sure that I'm not bringing shame or any negative reputation to Christ. When you think about interacting, though, as a quote Christian and a realtor, are there like self-imposed expectations you have when you're dealing with people? Only in that they are framed in, am I just what I said, am I leading with grace? Am I treating them kindly. Now, when I'm helping them purchase a home or sell their home, I also am very aware of the fact that this is a huge investment for them. And I want to treat their investment as if it was my own. I don't want them to spend more than they need to spend on a house. And yet I'll tell them, you have got to go in full offer or you're not going to get it. Now that's okay. One of the questions I will ask a client is, if you lose this house, are you okay with that? And same in selling a house. There's times that they're going to hold out over a very minor issue. And I'll remind them, what's our goal? Our goal is to sell your home. Is this $1,000 really something you want to fight for? If it is, I'm there to fight for you. But if not, let's look at our big picture and keep going. Well, and you and I have talked over and over again, this is perhaps the biggest expense and probably the most emotional decision people ever make. Oh, it's incredibly emotional. The whole process is hard. And I will remind people when they're in the end run, you know, we've negotiated purchase price, we've negotiated repairs, and they're trying to move, they're trying to get everything done, and they're exhausted that in six months, it will be a memory. You're going to make it. It's okay. And yes, it is such a stressful thing to move. Just any transition is stressful, but usually the transition can be accompanied with a new job or a new area if they're moving to Nashville for the first time and they're trying to get to know everything. So, yeah, it's Schools really for kids, relationships, right. teen years, all those things. It's really a privilege to walk with people during this process. Well, and just an observer, I could not do what you do, A. And B, I'm always glad how many of these clients come and say, oh, we wish Cindy would be our mom. We wish you would help us. She was so good at this because you do walk them through. And I think that's a great reflection on your walk with Christ is that you're trying to help these people in this very emotional and very expensive decision. And that's also, in God's kindness, most of your business in this chapter is referral because it comes back because people's had a good experience with you or they're going to get a a bigger house now because they have more kids or they're downsizing and they go, you know, Cindy treated us really well and I want to go back and use her again. And that, again, speaks to, I think, you honoring the Lord when you try to do this. Well, thank you. That's certainly my goal. Let's talk about uh, your own, like, spiritual journey. What would you think is, and I know these greatest and most and biggest are superlatives, but what would you say has been a great or greatest challenge in your own spiritual journey? This question made me think back to years and years ago when we were in counseling together and the counselor had us do a life map. Do you remember that? And he, in the life map, the thing that kept coming up over and over and over for me was control. 
And a lot of that's because in my childhood, I didn't feel like I had control at all. And so at that point, it was really good because it was really eye-opening and gave me something as like, I need to watch this yellow flag or red flag that pops up in my life when I'm trying to control people or even Your more. Your husband in particular. Well, no, I, that's, that's <laughs> impossible. Or control God. Mm-hmm. And I think that then leads over into a challenge that's always been my prayer life in really depending on God, really taking something to him, laying it at his feet and leaving it there, not trying to manipulate or not manipulate people. You stopped me doing that years ago, but you did. (laughs) But manipulate a situation or try to work it out with my kids or just do what I think is best for them. Not even what's best for me, but might be best for them. And I've learned over time that that is not my job. Mm. You know, my job is to be faithful and let God deal with the results. So do you feel now that you're, you have a little more rhythm in that? I think so. I think so. Prayer will always be a struggle, I think. And it's not that I don't love the discipline of prayer. And I do think it's a discipline, but you know, when I sit down to pray, my brain goes a zillion places. I've learned to take a note for what it is that I'm thinking about and move on because sometimes, you know, it's like, oh, I have to remember to do this today, mm-hmm. you know, just mm-hmm. to do's. Yeah. But I always want to make sure that when I spend time in prayer, in the word in the morning and then in prayer, that I am putting everything under the umbrella of God's will. And that right there is giving up my control. It's mm-hmm. just saying, you know, Lord, this seems to be a great idea to me, but <laughs> I want your will in this. Yeah. In one of our other interviews with another friend who answered the 10 questions, I asked him about in his life when you plan and anticipate things and, you know, this is the goal of the vision. Did it ever work out? the way you thought. And we were both laughing, going, no, no, (laughs) never. And so in our sixties, we're going, okay, when are we really going to embrace this? Granted, prayer is a discipline. Do you find that you get into a zone sometimes though, when your distractions are calming down, maybe you're using a devotion book or reading and it's like, okay, this, I'm enjoying this. I'm not looking at my watch. The to-dos aren't clamoring. Yeah. But I would say that that's not the norm. But yes, there are times that, and you know, it's always when I'm in the most dependence, when I'm in the greatest need, it's when all those to-dos are not important to me because there's something that is much more important or a larger priority. Mm -hmm. One of the things I've learned about prayer that I appreciate is that prayer is all day long. I do think there's, of course, I think it's important to spend time in focused prayer but even more, I mean, an example is one of the things I, you know, I wear a Apple watch and it can be set to where it tells you so many times a day to breathe and to like meditative breathing. Well, I don't do that. I just dismiss it. But when it tells me to breathe, I take time, I stop and I pray in my day. Hmm. And I pray for whatever's on my heart at the time. You know, it might be kids, it might be you, it might be a client, it might be me. It might be something I'm internally struggling with or, you know, I ask God, please show me my sin. You know, Holy Spirit, show me my sin when I sin so that I can keep a short account with you. And that to me is a more realistic 
way to pray for me because it is an ongoing conversation, mm-hmm. not just a, okay, I'm done ceasing. with this and moving on. Yeah. Well, I think it reminds us of our dependence too, because when I am working in the flesh, operating and getting my things done and my to-do list, I feel in control. I feel like I'm on top of it. And when I can't get things done, when there's distractions and other problems that arise, that's when dependence weighs in. And the corollary of this, obviously we've talked about in our married life, is kind of frightening because you look at life the things God allows in his will to happen to us. And I often wonder, is that because he's getting my attention? And that's the only way mm. he's going to get my attention, whether it's, you know, chronic pain or problems with people or children, etc. But do you have a key verse or book of the Bible? Can I say multiple? Of course. <laughs> so one's... How can I say no to you? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, when I was thinking of this question, I wrote down some verses and I went, how do I pick one? One of my verses that I go through in my mind all of the time, of course, is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live. I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and gave himself up for me. And when Paul wrote that, it was a declarative statement. When I think about it, when I think through it, it's a question. Yes, I've been crucified with Christ, but am I living a life filled with Christ? Back to the, am I doing things that represent Christ well? So that's how I look at that. Another one, kind of, I think through a lot, is Micah 6, 8. Uh, What does the Lord require of you to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with him? I love that. You know, every word in the Bible is deliberate. There's nothing that is there that God did not intend. And so I love the verbs here. Do justice, not love justice. Do it. Do justice. Love kindness. I think if you love kindness, you'll be kind. And then be humble. Walk humbly with God, which is dependence. So there's nights that as I'm falling asleep, I often quote Psalm 23 because to me, it's a very comforting Psalm when I'm going to sleep. But I'll also run through Micah 6, 8 and Ask myself, Cindy, did you do justice today? Mm. Did you do the right thing? Were you kind today? Did you love kindness today? Were you humble today? And boy, I get smacked around by God with that one sometimes (laughs) because I think, you know, I have a tendency toward pride and being proud of what I've accomplished in my job or being proud of whatever. And so God reminds me that everything I am and all that I have and all that I do is only because of his love and gifts towards me. It's nothing Mm -hmm. good in and of me myself. The whole book of Philippians, if I had to give my life to one book, it would be Philippians. There's just Mm. so much wisdom in Philippians, everything from how to treat other people to how to deal with anxiety, how to pray. I love Philippians. And then finally, my most recent love has been Romans 12. Just the idea that We need to not be conformed to the world. You know what? I look at Facebook or I read through Twitter some mornings and or afternoons or when I'm bored, I do a quick two or three minutes and I think, how much are we as believers being conformed to the world? And yet Paul tells us, God tells us through Paul that we're supposed to be transformed by renewing our minds, by spending time in his word, by meditating on his word, by memorizing his word. That's the Mm -hmm. only way it can transform us. So that has become just the rest of Romans 12. It is how to live, how to live a godly life, Mm -hmm. both in the church and out of the church. I just love that chapter. 
Moving on, what two or three books beyond the Bible have been particularly impactful to you? Years ago, Barbara Brand and I read together with Christ in the School of Prayer by Andrew Murray. It's an old, old book. It was, I don't know, 100 years old. No, it's not that old, but it's very old. It might be. If I remember correctly, I should have pulled it off my shelf because, of course, I still have it. It was a 30-day, like you could read a chapter a day, but you really couldn't. We did more like a chapter a week or two chapters a week because it is a very deep book, but it really helped me get out of prayer being a list of needs or, you know, God being the ultimate candy machine in the sky. Really, the first time I was faced with understanding prayer had a deeper meaning was more than I thought it was. So that'd be the first one. The second, another one just, would... Just by the way, it was published in 1885. There you go. So it was over so 100 over years 100, ago. No, you're good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Old after, English and all. After Christ in the School of Prayer, I, secondly. I, and I think the second one is a more contemporary book that unfortunately is out of print, but it's called The Promise by Robert J. Morgan. The Promise is based on Romans 8.28, and what Dr. Morgan does is take every word, and it's a different chapter, and takes apart, exegetes Romans 8.28 with a lot of personal stories of people in his ministry, he's a pastor, or in his own life, and a friend of mine recommended this book when I was in a very difficult time in our life, and I was searching for joy because of decisions children were making, nothing between us, and I was profoundly sad, Mm -hmm. and I kept going, you promise this joy, what does joy look like? How can it even be mingled with sadness? And that book, Understanding the Tapestry and that God does have all of this, all of the hards for our good, it brought me joy. It helped me understand how joy and that sadness could mingle in one life at the same time. And just for helpful information, it is available in used formats. I'm just pulling up here to see. So there are some buying options. The Promise by Robert J. Morgan. He's been out and filled the pulpit for us here at Stonebridge a handful of times, and our folks love him. He's a sweet guy. Yep, he Knows is. Knows the word. He is. And okay, so Andrew Murray, Christ to School of Prayer, Robert J. Morgan, The Promise, others? Can I talk about murder mysteries? No, I'm just kidding. Well, sure, <laughs> no. I guess. <laughs> well, you know me and that's, my... That's her, and my yeah. Yes. My, Your algorithm, you read one, quote, bad book like a murder mystery, and then you read a good a book. A good yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh-huh. A good for me okay. book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A little diversion is not a bad thing. All right, let's go on here. What's one of the biggest lessons that you've learned at this point in your life? Gosh, I've had so many lessons in my life. <laughs> And I guess the presumption is that I've actually learned them. (laughs) Mm, Hopefully we're always learning, I guess. I would say, and I referred to this earlier in an earlier question, but is always lead with grace. Something you taught me a long, long time ago and we've talked about is when someone is unkind or mean, to always remember we're all wounded sheep. And just in a situation where I could be angry or react poorly, to always lead in grace. And along with that, one of the chapters or passages I've memorized recently is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a. And so 
there will be times that I'll ask myself, what does love look like in this situation? You know, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, which means I need to speak truth, but I need to speak truth with grace. And how am I to show Christ's love in this particular situation to this particular person? So those are all things um, That's great. That's good. that I'm learning and dealing with. What's one thing that you long for other believers that you know, that they would know, that they would believe, that they would embrace? You know, this is something we've also talked about a lot recently in that it's everyone has hard. And hard doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that you're not in God's will. In fact, we know through our life and through watching our friends, through example, is that the path to spiritual maturity is through the hard stuff. When you are so dependent on Jesus and when you can't figure it out on your own and you don't have the resources to solve a problem and yet you're still obedient, you're still trusting when you could be disappointed with God, yet you lean into him. That, to me, is the path to spiritual maturity. So what I would tell people is you're going to have hard. Embrace the hard because that is where you'll grow and mature and you will have parts of Jesus that you would never experience if you're living in an easy, simple life. And Peter talks about being refined by fire. And again, we talked about this all forever in our marriage, but how I don't think there's any growth apart from suffering. I wish that was not true, but it seems in our lives and in people that we've watched over the years, the growth comes through the trial. Hmm. The growth comes in the fire and the health crisis in the marriage that falls apart and your children that break your heart in the, you know, the, oh, I got cancer. You know, I mean, all these things that are going to occur to every one of us, that's the opportunity where we trust Christ and we forge ahead and we believe in him, not knowing the outcomes. But I just don't think we grow in wealth and ease and comfort and prosperity. I think those are counterproductive for most of us. I, I could be wrong. I remember years ago when we lived in D.C. and we had several friends going through really hard things. And at that point... Other than infertility, I don't think we'd been through anything that was devastating, or at least I hadn't. I was able to handle them emotionally. And I remember I would describe it to someone like I was a kid with my nose and hands up to the candy store, watching our friends deal with suffering and the way Christ met them, the profound relationship they had with Jesus during those times. And I was like that kid that wanted in the candy store, but was afraid of the cost. Mm. You know, years have passed and we have had some things that have been just so hard. And so now I am that kid in the candy store and I'm grateful to be there. That's the thing that shocked me that you don't even want to get out because of what you know and what you've experienced in your relationship with God, that you couldn't get outside the candy store. One of your closest friends, and mine as well, Spencer and Barbara Brand, who Barbara deals with MS, and she has excruciating headaches. And I remember one time she felt good enough for us to go out to dinner, and I asked her, what's it like when 
you're in these episodes and you stay in the dark and noise and touch and light would increase her pain. And she said, it's like being in the bottom of a tunnel with three things, me, God, and pain. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget this. And she said, it's horrible, but I don't want to leave. When she's one of the people I was referring mm-hmm. to because yeah. she suffered physically so much mm-hmm. and yet saw it as joyful. Yeah, she's otherworldly. I mean, she still True. struggles. True. And, but, but you watch them and our friends, the traffickants we've had on mm-hmm. the Hannah's podcast as well. People that in our worldview have gone through extraordinary health problems in particular mm-hmm. and how they have just become supernatural encouragements to everyone around them that doesn't ameliorate their pain it doesn't lessen the load by any measure but it's remarkable to see again apart from suffering and pain and trial i don't think you grow and i think they're rare johnny erickson tata would be another one who enjoy christ in a way that unfortunately too many christians have never understood the scripture and what the spirit's work does in our lives so Another cheery Michael Easley sermon. Uh, wait, you, you have to have pain to grow. I just, you know, I think it's the way we, we mature. Let's talk then about your greatest disappointment in the context of whether it's real estate, family, parenting, Christian communities, whatever. I don't think I have any disappointments in real estate, so we can take that off. I mean, there's been time I've lost clients for various reasons, but again, that's it is what it is. I would say overall, probably in some of the choices that our younger children have made and the fact that though raised to follow Christ, they've chosen not to. You know, when you have or adopt children, you think if I teach them about Jesus, if I love them, if I give them opportunity in life, if I try to help them understand the bent how God has made them, help them find something that they're passionate about. You know, my philosophy that all of our kids had to try musical instrument or sing and play a sport because part of that was trying to help them figure out other than academics, how are they wired? How did God wire them? And then to see them walk so far away from who God I think, wants them to be. And it makes me sad that there is so much potential, some giftedness, some artistry that they are not using and therefore not experiencing the joy again Mm -hmm. of how God made Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And perhaps every parent has, you know, if you have more than one child, you're going to have some problem children. Not that an only child would be free of it, but the firstborn compliance seemed to be a delight for many people. But when you have, you know, two, three, four, five children, you're going to have some that are going to break your heart. And you do have that disappointment. And I think early on, we both played the if then or what if, mm-hmm. you know, what if we'd have done this or done that? And we've had to go back and take stock and go, you know, we weren't perfect parents, but we tried. We did the music lessons and the horse lessons and the private lessons and the opportunities to go places and the Christian camps and, you know, the missions trips. I mean, all the above, trying to find where they could sink their teeth in. And whether it's a bio child or an adopted child, they're free agents mm-hmm. when it comes to God and what they believe. And, you know, that's. I read a book years ago, but the intro 
the author, and it was actually a secular book, but the author said that God is the perfect parent and his children rebel. So why would we think as imperfect parents that we wouldn't have children rebel? Mm-hmm. And that was a really helpful for me I just to be able to wrap my brain around that and go, okay, it's not my fault. I mean, yes, you're right. We weren't perfect parents, but well, no we're one simple is. people and you're going to, you know, you're going to leave some emotional baggage as an inheritance to your kids, no matter how great a person you are. And then again, five children in the same home have five different parents. Right. You know? So there's those realities not to absolve us or say we couldn't have been better. But somewhere along the road, you say, yeah, I yelled at my kids. Yeah, I got mad. Yeah, I was overbearing. I perhaps overpunished. Maybe I didn't discipline enough, et cetera. But they're free agents. And every adult looks in the mirror and goes, you know, my parents weren't perfect either. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were good people or flawed people or they were divorced, whatever. And yet you're a free agent. You get to make your own choices. That's called growing up, I guess. Greatest encouragement in your context of ministries you know, family, whatever. And that's an easy one for me in every area of my life. In family, it is a 40-year marriage to a man I still adore. It is our older girls and their wonderful husbands. We tell people that we won the son-in-law lottery. They are just amazing young men. My grandkids, all three of them are a joy. So in that context, I'm so grateful that God allows our children not just to be our kids, but to be our friends. Mm -hmm. And you and I have talked about, we'd really rather spend time with those four young adults than anyone. Four couples, yeah. Right. We just, we really love being with them. And Um, and that they want to hang with us. That's Yeah, that's even, (laughs) even. I think they must like, you say, okay, we got to give the old people some attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's throw them a bone, call and see if they want a family night. And maybe they'll buy dinner. Yeah, no. In ministry, I would say Stonebridge has been a surprising joy to me. As you know, when you first came home and said, we're starting a church, I was like, okay, you can, I'm not. And just to see. But you're not bitter. (laughs) No, I love it. And A, I've never had so much fun in a church because it feels like a family. Before this, we've, other than your first ministry, your first pastorate, we have been in mega churches. And even as one of the teaching leader in Emmanuel, the senior pastor's wife, I could go into church and no one would know me, know who I was because I wasn't up at the podium all the time and nor would I want to be. But so it's just to be known and to know people. I love that. And another thing I love about Stonebridge is the young families, the young people. To me, that is so encouraging to have these young people coming to church because they love the way you teach the Bible. They want exposition. They really want to dig in to the Bible. And work-wise, an encouragement is just that people do refer their friends and family Mm -hmm. and that they do say, she will take care of you. Mm -hmm. She will serve you well. That is an honor to me. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And it's true. If you could write your 18-year-old self a letter, what advice would you give? Wow. It would be a long letter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would say, first, Cindy, you are in for an amazing life. You're going to have more opportunities than you ever thought possible for a little girl from Texas. God is going to take you places that you've never expected. 
with a man that you will forever love. At the same time, you're going to have some hurts and disappointments that you don't expect, that you don't want. But in both those joys and those disappointments, God will be there. God will be faithful every step of the way. And in the end, I mean, as I look back, you know, not that I'm at 62 planning to die anytime soon, but as I look back over 62, almost 63 years, I would say the joys of serving Jesus far outweigh the hurts. Mm -hmm. And back to what we were talking about before, the hurts, the difficult, the hard is where I've grown spiritually and seen Jesus in ways I would not have in just the joys. Mm -hmm. I think the oft-quoted passage from Joseph, you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Mm. I think we, again, we so minimize the context of that statement all the years he was imprisoned and maligned and mistreated. And even when he becomes a very powerful person during Pharaoh's reign, and then, of course, that's all lost and so forth and so on. It's a story. We say, oh, that was okay that they did that to him. And I think we missed the point of what he's saying is, you did it for evil. It was still wrong. But what we learn, what God teaches Joseph through this story, and I think that's, it's helpful for me because sometimes people will have a kind of a contorted view about the misfortunes in life. Mm -hmm. And I go, no, that was wrong. That injustice was wrong. Your husband should not have treated you that way. Your wife should not have, you know, had an affair. Your son or daughter should not have done that to you. That's still evil. But in that evil, you're going to learn things about God that are good. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important differentiation because sometimes we look at, oh, I'm ready for the injustice in life. No, it's still injustice. It's still wrong. Well, and I often think about the C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm paraphrasing, but God whispers to us in our pleasure and shouts to us in our pain. Yep. yep. Okay. What would you like your epitaph to say? She had so much fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is kind of my view of, that's how I decide yeah, to do something. It's still your view of life. I know. It is. It is. <laughs> Girls just want to have fun. I think, and seriously, one of two things, either faithful follower of Christ or a life that was evidence of God's grace. Or you can combine them. A faithful, yeah. graceful follower. I don't know, whatever you want. but It depends on how much it costs per letter. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I would say. And that's what I hope, you know, I think more than just what I'd want on a tombstone, what would I want people to say about me at my funeral? You know, we've in ministry, we go to a lot of funerals and you've performed a lot of funerals or memorials. And I often will sit there going, if I were to die today, what would people say about me? And that's what I come back to that, wow, she was full of grace and God's grace was all over her life. And she was faithful no matter what. Mm -hmm. If I can end that way, ah, how sweet. That'd be a good thing. That'd be a good thing. Well, we're glad you're joining us for this series. We're having a lot of fun with these 10 questions, and thanks for listening, and we appreciate your share. Also appreciate, I know Hannah mentions this sometimes in the closing of the programs, but if you will go to iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast and give us a good rating, if it's good, obviously, that's very helpful for us. The metrics and measurements do matter, and we appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers, and thanks for listening. This is Michael Easley. 
and Context. Michael Easley and Context is fully funded by our listeners. If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation to support our ministry? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is edited, mixed, and mastered by Tim Hull, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.